Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio for Friday, March 20th, 2015. This week is episode 361. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. I'm back in the studio after spending the week down in Texas at the IAQA convention. Here with me in the studio is our engineer, John. You gotta have faith. And joining me from Studio C in McKee's Rocks is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hey Joe, I'm glad you're back and good to be here again great to have you cliff uh before we get started let's uh, you know i want to mention who we've got today we've got a great show lined up bob krell will join us from healthy indoors magazine pete consigli is going to join us the ria uh, we like to call him the restoration industry global watchdog and kent rahauser is joining us the president of iaqa we're going to do a recap of the conference and go over some highlights and tips for listeners that we picked up during the week. But before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, or Restoration and Abatement Contractors Shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services. All right, very good. You can, of course, stream shows right from our homepage. Just click on the link to the show there, and you can also hit the button that says Go to Show, where you'll get to the Talk Shoe website, and you can either download shows or stream them. And, of course, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Either email us to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show, you can text in the answer via your computer. I'm sorry to report there were no correct answers to last week's trivia question. The IAQ radio trivia question for Friday, March 20th, 2015, has been sponsored by Triska the Tri-State Restores and Specialty Cleaners Association who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is prsca.org. Now for today's IQ Radio trivia question. What is the Vernal Equinox? Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. This week we're going to recap review and talk a little bit about the 18th annual indoor air quality association conference and expo 
It was held in Grapevine, Texas. It was the last year we'll be doing that with the Air Conditioning Contractors of America, ACA, great group, and uh, we wish them well on their future conferences. Um, I was in attendance. The guests we have today here were in attendance. We've going to, we're going to have the Restoration Industry Association Industry Advisor, Pete Consigli. We've got Healthy Indoors Magazine Editor, Bob Krill. Krell, sorry, and of course we've got the IAQA president, Kent Rawhauser. So we're going to recap some key moments and talk a little bit about some tips we picked up for listeners, a little bit of some developments that occurred while we were there. I also want to reach out to Dr. Ava King, did a great job of bringing in some tremendous speakers, putting together a a top-notch show. It's a lot of work, and um, Eva does a great job on that and really really hustles and makes sure we get top people speaking. Before we get started, um, I also want to touch base on, on next year. There will be uh, a meeting again, but it will be coming up quickly. So this uh, following year will be in January of 2016, and we'll get Kent Rawhauser to talk a little bit more about that. So let's jump right into it. Let's see if we've got the guys on the line there. John, can you... Uh, Oh, you got some music. That's right. We have some music, of course. And we still have fun, cause we're a team. We aspire, just like our dreams. We aim higher. Together we aspire. Together we achieve. Together we'll make it. If we do it as a team, do it as a team. Together we aspire. Together we achieve, together we'll make it, if we always believe. All right, Cliff picked out some music that, you know, kind of got the consolidation theme and the teamwork theme going, and that's what we heard a lot of this week. Let's get Bob Crow on the line first. Bob, do we have you? We do. How are you? Great, Bob. Good to have you. What? Uh, let's Let's get your first impression. What was the big first impression from the show for you? Uh, well, I mean, for me, it's a continuation of a lot of the shows that I've been at at IAQA. I just I like the ability to meet other people in the industry and interface with them and actually uh, hear the viewpoints of the you know my peers in the industry. So that that that's huge for me. That networking opportunity is uh, unparalleled. So that, that's a big deal. Um, sessions were good. Trade show, uh, you know, that combined trade show is a pretty uh, sizable trade show, and it was uh, overall I think a pretty good session. Yeah, I have to agree. I think one of the things that, that stands out for me was um, a moving tribute to the first president of the Indoor Air Quality Association, Larry Robertson. Many of our listeners know Larry passed last year. And um, at the annual meeting, the board had a, a, a tremendous tribute. Danny Greenblatt uh, said some words. Larry was a close friend of Danny's. They had a nice video um, of photographs of, of Larry over the years, and um, it was just a very moving tribute, and they, they brought Jenny up and gave her a plaque and, and entered some information into the record, and um, I think we've got a little quick honor for Larry as well.
you know, I thought about it on the on the way back. I realized that we probably wouldn't have all been together there if it hadn't been for Larry. He was the, the basically the founder, the first president of the association, and uh, I'm sure he would be proud of where his his baby is now. Um, Bob, did you have anything you wanted to add on on Larry? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I've known Larry since the beginning too, and uh, he was just a—he was a great guy. I mean, and it's not going to be the same without him there. Um, I, I can't even tell you the amount of times that we, you know, we spent at different conferences, you know, you know, chatting over beer or so, you know, after the general sessions, and just—he just was a truly uh, unique individual that just uh, put his heart into it, and yeah, he's going to be sorely missed. You know, there's another annual. Now it's an annual event uh, that they they've added to the show last starting last year and and this year we had two new inductees to the Indoor Air Quality Association's Hall of Fame. There were four last year. Two new ones this year were announced. Richard Shaughnessy, uh, Dr. Shaughnessy from the University of Tulsa, was uh, one of the two, and the second one we've got with us actually, Pete Consigli, was um, announced as the most recent member of the IAQA Indoor Air Quality Association Hall of Fame. And uh, what we'd like to do is bring bring the bring Pete on. Uh, we we call him the Global uh, Restoration Industry uh, Global Watchdog, and uh, got a quick intro. All right, Pete, we have you. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, thanks. Good, Pete. Any? What were your key highlight moments from the from the conference? Well, first of all, uh, I was totally taken back and surprised by the uh, you know the uh, Hall of Fame award. I didn't know about it. Um, I kind of knew something was up because somebody uh, they had an emissary asked me to wear a tie jacket to the meeting. And I don't wear that too often, but um, anyway, it was a real surprise. It was kind of a, maybe apropos being inducted with Richard. You know, Richard and myself go back many years into the 90s and the early days of the indoor air quality kind of movement and how it overlapped with the cleaning and restoration guys. So anyway, that uh, that was that was a good thing. The, of course, uh, you know, Larry's uh, Larry's tribute was really something. I'm I'm happy he got he got a chance to come to the summer camp last year. And uh, you know he was he was fighting fighting his cancer. He was a real trooper in regard to that. I kind of echo what Bob said. He he was really a unique guy, and he definitely will be missed. Well, Pete, we we appreciate you joining us. We're going to bring you in here. Uh, just let us know when you want to jump in. I know you had some other excellent observations, and congratulations. I was. I was a little surprised when they uh, started giving the, you know, they don't tell the name right away, and they start saying what this person has contributed to the industry, and I thought, wow, that sounds like Pete. <laughs> so, congratulations, good to, good to see you on the, on the Hall of Fame up there. All right, let me get the Z-man in here, Cliff. Uh, go ahead, Joe. I'm, I'm kind of writing away. Okay, I figured you might be. Let me, let me do this then. Let's get Kent Rawhauser hey, on. Joe. Yes, sir, Joe. Pete. Yep. You know, let me just make one comment. Uh, the big picture comment, if you would, could you say what my initial reaction was? And Bob kind of weighed in. I, I tell you that if I had to kind of sum it up, I, I think I see a trend in the industry. And for me, without getting into the specifics of the particular sessions and those kind of takeaways, which we'll probably, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit more as the show evolves. But from a big picture standpoint, it seems to me that the industry is basically starting to grow up. You know, we've we've moved from a from being self-managed organizations, and now we're, you know, we've kind of come under these large umbrellas, 
organizations and dealing with the standard setting and um, uh, the management services, the body bodies of knowledge, uh, you know, credentialing that whole process, and and that's obviously happening in the, in the air, air quality field, and it's happening in cleaning and restoration and all these kind of related industries. So to me, the whole idea and the concept of the different related associations starting to seriously try to work together for the benefit of their members and the you know the constituents, the people, the stakeholders that they serve um, through MOU agreements and things of like that. That that's a trend now in the industry. This is not some kind of a passing type of a thing, and I and I think that's really good. So to me, that was very evident um, at the show. You know, coming under you know the the auspices of the, of the ASHRAE and all the resources that it'll have to. Uh, you know, to move to advance the, the, the profession in the field of indoor air quality. So that was the big one for me, guys. And, you know, we've got a, another one coming up here in May when um, RIA and the new Council of Associations will be co-locating, and um, that's another step forward in unification of the industry. I'm happy to, happy to see that happening as well. We're going to... Um, put together i think we'll have a show next week that we'll, we'll get a little preview on the ria conference and and do some uh get a guest or two on to discuss that anyway uh let's bring kent rawhauser in kent let, give us your your key moments in the at the conference hey joe cliff thanks a lot for having uh having me on um you know it has to go back i have to echo uh larry robertson you know larry or not only a good friend, Larry was a mentor to me because uh, when I was looking at uh, uh, becoming president, I, I picked up the phone and called Larry and, and got some advice from Larry and uh, great words from Larry um, in what was going on. And probably the, the next thing was uh, sitting up on the, on the stage with, with Tom Phoenix, the president of, of ASHRAE, and just being able to uh, answer questions of, of members of IAQA to be able to, uh, to get some things clarified. Those, uh, Joe, are the two big highlights for me. And, and then you can't, I mean, Eva King, this amazing woman and amazing how hard she works and what she put together for, uh, for the technical conference. Just can't say thank you enough to her. You know, Kent, during that presentation, which I, I agree, that was it was well done. You and Tom Phoenix gave a little overview of what was going on that, that, you know, there had been essentially a merger of the two groups that IAQA was now actually legally a subsidiary of ASHRAE, but that we would still have our own um, board of directors, uh, budget, autonomy, and that, you know, that would that would continue. Uh, I, I thought it was a good thing to do for the members, get them, you know, and, and plus, instead of just rolling it into the annual meeting where we go over, you know, the treasurer's report and induct the new uh, board members and all that, I thought it was a good idea to have it separate and, and to keep both of those separate and, you know, keep it separate from our own board meeting instead of kind of rolling it in. Um, so I thought I want to congratulate you and the board and, and Don Weeks for the job you've done in, in pulling this together. Um, I, I'm curious, Kent, what were – what kind of reaction did you get from the members that you spoke to about this whole consolidation, merger, uh, subsidiary situation? You know, Joe, the the, um, the responses, uh, it's now responding. You know, early on it was reacting because, you know, if you were in there with, with Tom and I or if you're in some of the other 
Jeff Littleton addressed it in the membership meeting too. There's there's a fear of being swallowed up and IEQA goes away. And and if there's anything that has been made really clear uh, from both the volunteers and from the staff is that they have IAQA uh, to bolster what ASHRAE can, can do and what they can offer in their place in the market. And uh, it's really sincere because, you know, I, I know uh, have met next year's president and then, uh, you know, the, the, who will be the president-elect, so a couple of years down the line, and then even the president beyond him uh, that's coming in all have um, great ties to IAQ, and they understand the value of IAQA. So as, as, as soon as, as people can understand that we're not getting swallowed up, this is a mutually beneficial um, a, a consolidation. So we're a subsidiary um, uh, of ASHRAE, and I think Tom described it really well. You've got Pe- PepsiCo owns Burger King, but PepsiCo doesn't, you know, you don't see PepsiCo all over Burger King. You have Burger King out doing their own thing, and that's what we're going to do. And it, it should be, if people get involved, if they take advantage of the opportunities that are there, um, I mean, we have, there's 53,000 members that are now, uh, we're in the family with, and we have the opportunity to say, hey, you know, join IAQA. So it's a really good thing, Joe. You know, Bob, let's get back to you for a moment. What what did you hear from members? What were, What was the feedback that you got about the consolidation of things? Well, I mean, I, you know, I've heard like the whole, you know, across the whole gambit. I mean, certainly some people have voiced the concern that, you know, we potentially as or as an organization uh, could get swallowed up, you know, by the larger organization. But I think a lot of people um, are also seeing, you know, that there is kind of a unique opportunity here because the resources and just the established credibility and the whole structure that, a, a, you know, an organization like ASHRAE brings to the table is just something that IAQA could have never uh, manifested on its own. You know, it's just, let's face it, you know, much bigger organization, sure. deeper pockets, you know, just, just tons of resources available. So I think many people are starting to see that it is <clears throat> indeed could be a really great opportunity for the organization to grow and really do things that weren't, you know, affordable before. Pete, same question. Um, well, I, I was, I, I, I like the, uh, that was one of the top the points that, that I had on uh, for a highlight for me was listening to a session with Kent and Tom Phoenix, you know, just kind of going back and forth, um, uh, you know, on the, on the, uh, the acquisition, the relationship between the two organizations and the, uh, you know, the, the lively question and answer, you know, from the members. I thought that was really good. It was very open and very transparent. And, you know, uh, the way I look at it is this is what, kind of growing up is all about and you just um you got to let it just take its due pro- you know take its process and just just let it happen and pay attention to it i mean it was very clear that came from uh, both the hash rate people and the iqa that the, what, it was going to be autonomous that they were going to you know, be separate organizations and that um you know right up to the point that it was even evident this year in the expo hall and i think it'll continue on the whole the whole idea of having a pavilion for the indoor air quality practitioners in the greater hall. Of course, you know, this last show with the air conditioning people, the, the show obviously is a lot smaller than the, than the, the large um, show that they'll have next year with Asterix. But, I mean, by isolating the, uh, 
you know, the uh, the people that are specifically into air quality practitioners in, in the hall and showing it on the on the uh, you know on the, uh, the programs and you know doing it so that people can differentiate that. I think that's good, so they won't kind of be wandering around, not you know knowing where the the key foods are that they want to visit and whatnot. So I, you know, I, I mean, I understand people's concerns. I think it's good to bring it up and have a healthy discussion. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, my 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 deal, you know, the jury's still out. Let, you know, just give it time. You know, you have to you have to trust the selection committee. You know, any association that uh, you know, puts trust in their boards or executive committees, and then they. They, you know, they use their past presidents and you know and, and key leaders to uh, to form search committees. You know to make those kind of strategic decisions. You just have to trust that, that those people are looking after the interests of, of the members, the greater section of the industry, and that um, you know they're doing the right things for the right reasons. And that's what transparency is all about. You know, so that, that's the way I see it. I I got a quick question for Kent. I didn't quite. I want to get this clear in my own mind. Um, as far as January goes, Kent, we'll be co- you know in, within the AHR Expo. You know, you've got seven thousand booths, and uh, they have their own set of speakers at the Expo. And then Ashray actually has a separate little convention at the same time where they have speakers. Will there be a a third set of speakers specific to Indoor Air Quality Association related uh, topics? Yeah, there will, Joe. We'll have uh, our conference uh, and, and the slate of speakers will be very much like we had this year. The, the changes you're going to see is, you know, that we're working through is to figuring out how we give members time to get to the trade show to be able to, to do what they want to do at the trade show. So that's logistics, but there will be a specific IAQA um, uh, conference there in January, yes. So they'll have we'll be in one hotel doing you know indoor air quality related uh, presentations just like this year, but then we'll have to figure out the logistics of getting those people to the expo hall. Yeah, and you know it's it, it's always that way for uh, virtually every time when when AHR, which is the expo, and ASHRAE put this together because the the expo is so large. Um, there's only so many places in the country that can actually hold the expo with, uh, you know, it's 400,000 square feet of exhibit space. Um, so they, they, they do that combination of what you described. You know, ASHRAE will have their specifics, IAQA will have their specifics, and then there'll be some things that are at, actually at the expo hall, too. So it's actually a, a ton of opportunity to, to train and to, and to learn um, over the three, four days. I'm glad you mentioned that, Kent, because I, I, you jogged my memory. Yes, when I was at the um, ASHRAE show this year, there was you know presentations and uh, committee meetings and things of that nature at the ASHRAE hotel, but then we had to take a shuttle over to the expo hall to attend the AHR expo and exhibit. So it's already being done. There's no reason we couldn't add a third group and, and figure out the logistics. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Now, the other thing I noticed that seemed to get as many or more questions than anything else at the president's, uh, when the two presidents spoke, was the IESO. And IESO now becoming an ASHRAE, essentially, uh, standards writing. I, I don't know if, I, I guess IESO... Will it go away altogether, Kent? 
What uh, we're, we're in a transition right now, and what will happen is there will be an IAQA standards committee, a standing standards committee um, that will be formed. So uh, quite a few of the IESO volunteers will, will move there, and then the actual writing of the standards. So to understand, um, you have ANSI who, who sets a process and kind of sets a bar to, uh, for a standard to be written to, and then you have a process. So IESO had a process that you had to follow, and ASHRAE has a, a process that you follow. And ASHRAE, ASHRAE has like 120 standards on the street right now, and many of them are, are codes. So they have a very set and very qualified uh, process for writing the standard. You still need the people, the volunteers, to write the standard. Either ASHRAE or IESO write the standard. Or, uh, or ANSI, excuse me, write the standard. They simply put it through a process. So the volunteers, all the people who have been uh, that were on the board of directors for IESO, on the consensus body, the, the CB, or in the committee writing uh, the standards themselves, putting the words on paper, all of them are still needed. They'll all be transferred into um, into the IAQA standard committee and then into ASHRAE uh, committees. And the great thing for the IESO volunteers is that they can get involved in, in standards and in committees that are already existing for ASHRAE. So all of that will transition in, and then, yes, IESO as an entity will go away. Uh, we'll keep IESO the, the trademark um, for X number of years. And then, um, uh, again, all the volunteers who have done amazing work will have all of their work brought together, and probably the opportunity to actually get those standards printed is probably going to go up tenfold here um, as we go through this transition. Well, and not only that, Kent, the thing I think I I would like to emphasize here, and I, I, I know you guys had a million things hitting you at once, and I didn't really notice it being emphasized at the conference with those IESO folks, you're now going to have a chance to sit on an ASHRAE committee, essentially, and get your name in an ASHRAE document, and that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, that's that's something to be proud of, and I think it's something that we should be making sure our members understand that, you know, this is a, this is a big thing. Yeah, you make a great point, Joe. Um, the, 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 I, I keep saying the opportunities and the possibilities for our members are incredible. And they just have to step up and take advantage of them. And the, the people at ASHRAE are saying, come help. We, we, we did this consolidation because we want your help. Come help. Uh, the, the, then you just have to go in and understand it's a, it's a new process and it's new people with, that you get to meet and network and, and opportunities to grow your own businesses through, too. So you make a great point, Joe. I noticed that uh, Bob and, and Pete, did you guys want to add anything before we move on away from the ISO topic? But, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind laying in a couple comments dovetail off of what Ken said. You know, as most of your listeners are aware, the ISO and the REA have had an MOU agreement for quite a few years now in the writing and the development of the fire restoration standards. And uh, the first one that's published and been out there for a while is, you know, referred to as the soot the char standard dealing with the, the uh, residues and HVAC systems after after a fire to determine the residue and distinguish the difference between just normal soil and uh, actual smoke and soot. So um, I'm, I mean, I, I'm 
feel very positive. I think, you know, my understanding is, uh, like Kent said, in July, June, June or July, the transition will take place from uh, ISO uh, to basically ASHRAE. One of the ISO uh, uh, well-known board members kind of referred to it as being that, we're, that, we move, that uh, IIQA now moves into the express lane, you know, because ASHRAE is one yeah. of five. Uh, ANSI standards developers that can that self-regulates because they're so large and have such a big history. So I think uh, I think this is a good thing. I think the process can be expedited for writing standards, but I at the same time it's uh, you know, it's uh, very transparent, very rigorous. I think this is a good thing, and um, you know in order to maintain the, not only the integrity and credibility of standards but the, their standing. So uh, I think some of the volunteers and the people out there they'll just have to. Uh, be adapted, you know, adapt to the new process. I don't think that's going to be that difficult. And I think once they do that, I think the business of writing standards will uh, will move along very nicely. So, um, you know, with our MOU agreement uh, between RAA, instead of having it with ISO, it'll just work out the deals and it'll be with ASHRAE. But I I see us, you know, moving along and just continuing the good work. Bob, anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I think ultimately the street credibility of an ASHRAE labeled standard will, will carry a lot more clout than uh, IESO could ever hope to do. So I think, you know, in that regard, it's going to be a lot more powerful standard setting body. Uh, agreed. Now, I, there was another interesting announcement. I, I know Pete picked up on it. I don't know how many other people picked up on it at the um, IAQA. Uh, annual meeting where you know all the members that were attending sat in the board of directors is giving out their reports and and they announced that um, the AIHA Indoor Air Quality Association collaboratively developed body of knowledge for IAQ practitioners was now ready and that um, that was going to be rolled out very soon and, and it's another great example of the collaboration within the industry those two groups working together to develop a body of knowledge for what people should know who do indoor air quality um, inspection investigation etc and and i thought that was um, a great time to announce that and uh, i know that they had the president of AIHA in attendance. We had uh, Marianne Latko as well, who's one of the um, administrative people there. I'm not sure what her title is. Maybe, Kent, you can help me out with that. Marianne is, uh, her exact title I can't tell you, but but she's on the uh, uh, on the development in, in the, um, they call it the, the registry to, to develop um Worthwhile uh, guidance for for the IAQ and the AIHA and the IAQ indoor air quality uh, practitioner, um, and it's Christine Lorenzo who's the, who's president, um, who was there and spoke and just did a, a wonderful job. And the, that that body of knowledge is going to be very valuable to the industry. Uh, but, uh, go hey, ahead, uh, Pete. Jump in. I, I have Mary Ann's card right here in front of me. So her title on her card is Managing Director for Scientific and Technical Initiatives. She's also a certified association executive. She's the CIH. She's the CSP. So she's, you know, she's very cross-credentialed, if you would, in many different disciplines. I had a chance to spend some time during one of the evening receptions with her and Christine, uh, who's the, the president of um, AIHA. And in her day job, she ha- happens to work for OSHA also. 
and um, it was very engaging. I thought that that presentation um, that I sat in on, that they had, uh, I um, can't remember the, the gentleman's name, but it was a CIH up there, and then Ian, Ian Cole, of course all the IQA people know Ian very well, and Mary Ann was uh, kind of an in- interviewed them on the process for the development of the body and knowledge, which, you know, done in conjunction with AIHA, um, we'll give it some, some good credit and street credit, as Mr. Crow would say, um, kind of coming under the AIHA umbrella to define a uh, what, a, what a competent and qualified or potential, I guess, eventually a potential practitioner of IQ services will be. And what I think the trend that will be happening in that area, guys, and, and certainly you all may want to comment on this, is that there's a lot of um, acronyms out there and a lot of different programs behind the names of people who, who participate in the indoor air quality profession, if you would, outside of the standing ones like being a professional engineer and industrial hygienist, things of that nature, um, I, I, it seems to me what the goal is, and I don't know if this is the way I saw it, it could be wrong, is that they want to kind of narrow that down to where the industry gets behind someone that's credentialed and uh, what that means to be uh, an IQ practitioner. It seems to me that's the direction that they're going. Bob, you know, you, Joe, you guys know more about that than me. Maybe have some comment on that. I think you're right, Pete. There's no question, and I, I had a great chat with uh, both uh, both the ladies. By the way, I believe it was Ben Colmeyer was the um, CIH who's also on that task force that was a joint task force between IAQA and AIHA developing that body of knowledge. I actually um, sat in on that one as well. And it was a great experience to get those folks working together. And I also met with them and told them, you know, we've got a similar task force going on at um, the IICRC, and I'd, I'd like to see all three work together so that we're not duplicating effort and that as we build toward uh, more uh, recognized and, um, uh, you know, more credible certifications within the industry that uh, we're all working together uh moving in the same way we've got um we've got a mandate to make sure that what we do is also affiliated with colleges or universities we've got several people on our task force that are affiliated with uh, trade schools colleges etc hey we've got to uh, stop i'm sorry um but we've got to take a quick break and thank our sponsors for halftime the indoor air quality association a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. We use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Check them out at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, John Don Products, or restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products 
All right, we're back for the second half of our show. We've got uh, Bob Crow, and we've got Kent Rahauser, and we've got Pete Consigli. And, of course, the Z-Man is still there. Cliff, I wanted to give you a shot. Do you have anything you wanted to ask or add? Well, at some point, I'd like to have you ask the people that attended and also comment yourself, Joe, on some technical tips for listeners, you know, uh, short things that you learned there that would be of benefit to our audience. So that's my question. You know, They don't have to do it now. They can do it at some point, but I would like to get an answer to it. Well, let's go ahead and do that. I think let's start with Bob. Sure. Well, I mean, a couple of things that – a couple of the sessions that really struck me that I, I really enjoyed there and I thought were very valuable. Um, the Children's Mercy Hospital presenters, uh, that was uh, Ryan Allen Brand, Kevin Kennedy, and Luke Gard, uh, did a, a, a session slash workshop on you know what we know, what we can say. What they did is they changed the format of your typical conference presentation and they took it out to the audience, broke people into working groups, and actually had them work through scenarios, different different type uh, uh basically consulting type scenarios where people would would actually be given a set of parameters and then have to discuss amongst themselves and uh, come up with ideas and decisions. And it was so it was, it was a very hands-on interactive session and honestly something that I would like to see a lot more of at these conferences because that's that's one of the things that you just can't get from a PowerPoint presentation and it was just really well done and I thought it was outstanding and a great opportunity for people to actually get involved in the presentation. Um, and the other one, of course, that really jumped out at me from a business standpoint, uh, because all of us have been around for a long time, is the uh, the one that Kent sat on with Dan Greenblatt and Chuck Voland uh, on what to do when your business gets in trouble. Grand Dick was uh, the uh, moderator. And that was another practical thing that um, was really, I think, valuable for the attendees that were you know, business owners that at some point all of us will probably face some hurdles and some tough times. And this was it was nice to actually hear it expressed that way. Who else was on the committee with uh, Viola? Um, it was, uh, oh, excuse me, Dan Greenblatt, uh, uh, Kent Rahauser, and then Graham Dick was the uh, moderator. Got it. Okay. That was great. You know, Kent, as someone who was on that, can you give us a, a little tip that, that came out during that presentation for listeners? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, first, one one thing that just really surprised me, there, was pro- there were probably a 50 people in the audience, and one of the first things that, that we did was we asked, how many of you, um, in your, the business owners, how many of your businesses have been in trouble? And sitting up front, it was like 90% of the people raised their hand that at some point in time their business was in trouble, um, which that really surprised me. Um, probably the, the biggest takeaway is uh, for me was how important um, the owner's focus and the owner's uh, commitment to learning and growing really is to your business. Because as soon as as you lose focus or you stop learning, same thing happens to the people around you, and either you stagnate or people starting start to pass you that you've empo- that you've employed, and you get scared and start doing stupid stuff and hurt your business. I think that's a great point, Kent. Now, Pete, let me jump in with you. Did, um, give us a tip that you picked up or uh, you know, a good piece of advice for listeners out there from one of the sessions. Yeah. Well, you know, of course, you know, my focus obviously is going to be on things that directly relate to, to the cleaning and restoration field. So, 
some of the sessions that I went to that really kind of struck a chord with me. One of them is the just asbestos stuff. I kind of uh, commented. I made a statement at, at one of the sessions that asbestos is an old issue, which is new again. You know, it's something that never really went away, and there's a whole new generation of stakeholders that are basically dealing with the same issues that um, the cleaning, restoration, indoor air quality contractors, general home builders had to deal with in the 80s and 90s. And it, this kind of lends to kind of the reoccurring theme and message that Joe Stebrook has always had when he talks about institutional or lack of generational memory, that every 20 years, the next group of people coming down the pike basically have to relearn from those that came before them. And this is why it's so important to kind of pass on lessons learned. And, and the way that that happens is through associations, participation. And sometimes we we forget to that we have to repeat stuff that we've maybe done 10 years ago or whatever the time would be because there's new people now that's new information to them. So Cole Stanton uh, did a, you know, the government affairs guy for IAQA really did a good presentation uh, on um, uh, on the differences in what, what abatement actually means and that besides actual removal, it also means in potentially encapsulation. It was really an honest broker. Those of you that know Cole, obviously, he represents a chemical manufacturer, but he was very upfront and translucent about that. And I thought his information, you know, was, was he, he was an honest broker. Um, you know, Derek uh, Denis, who's on the board and well-known with your listeners, has um, done some presentations on asbestos in the past uh, at IQA targeted towards restoration or remediation contractors. And I talked with both Cole and Derek and, I think next year for I want I'm going to ask them to submit some kind of an abstract to put a presentation on at the RAA you know combined uh, with a, you know with the IICRC audience that will uh, will do next year because I I do think there's a whole group of people out there that need to hear and understand the same stuff that we learned 20 years ago because it hasn't changed and from contractors from the environmental consultants to the insurance adjusters to property managers to people that we're working with there's a lot of asbestos out there. The issues are still there, and um, and we, we need to we need to deal with it. Uh, I think many of your listeners know, and you, I think you may have done a part part of a show in this. The REA recognizing that you know uh, earlier or at the end of last year, we published a document just called the Specialist Fact Sheet, which is on the homepage, and people can download it for free. So, and that essentially just uh, looks at what all the regulations are, what's in the government documents, and we just kind of assembled it in that manner. Uh, is a useful piece of information to educate uh, people can educate themselves and educate their customers and people that they work with. Um, the other thing that dovetailed off of that, Derek did a, a presentation on healthcare assessment. Uh, you know, the, the, in a healthcare facility, it was a case study of a, of a water break restoration remediation project, talking about the dynamics of assessment, mitigation, remediation. This is a new emerging discipline, really, in the infection control niche, which the restoration industry, a lot of restorers are involved in this. Um, I think over the years when they, they had to do a restoration of a healthcare facility after a hurricane or some kind of a major loss, they then had to educate themselves on the, the uh, Joint Commission, the JACO regulations, and you know all the different best practices out there when you do work in a healthcare facility dealing with infection control. And I thought that that presentation was excellent. Um, I think that some of you might know there is actually a pending PINs out there that the ISO has with RAA to, uh, to develop an infection control standard, and that's you know something that's in discussion. And I'm sure when we when the transition is made to, from ISO to ASHRAE, some decisions will need to be made if, if 
the industry is going to move forward in that area. But uh, this is kind of a niche area, but it's a hot emerging topic. And I was I was happy to see, you know, some of that, that stuff on there. There's, um, those are two big ones for me right now. I mean, I have a couple other things, too, but I'll, I'll kind of turn it back to you, Bill. Well, Pete, what you said actually um, kind of leads into one of the biggest takeaways for me. And I want to really give some real practical advice. And, again, this is something that we've known for a long time. But um, Joe Steebrook was up. He was the keynote. He was speaking, talking about how, you know, buildings suck and how um, the Marriott measles and, 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 you know, Joe brought out a lot of his best stuff and uh, obviously is, is a tremendously entertaining guy. But he gave some very practical advice. If you're working in hotels, a lot of hotels nowadays have these room mechanical systems in the room uh, within a wall you know there will be a, a little setup there and they've got a return air grill and there's no ductwork going to that grill and you know then we that comes down at the bottom and at the top you've got uh, air coming out to supply warmer uh, hot a uh, cooler warm air to the room and what happens is because there is no return air duct you actually get sucking on the walls so you start to see things that are within wall cavities being pulled to that room. And it was happening in the room I was staying in, I can, I can tell you that. But then the other key point he uh, brought out was not only do you have to add the ductwork so that your return air is coming from the room, not from the halls, but you also need to add a, uh, a, a hole in the wall basically with a grill over it, a transfer grill, so that you relieve some of the pressure on the wall, so that you don't have that negative pressure building in the wall and then uh, being sucked into the ductwork because, as we know, we don't always have the tightest ductwork, so the ductwork, even if you put it in, is leaking a little bit. So I thought that was great practical advice that's been around for a long time, but Joe brought it back out for people who were new to the industry or who had forgotten. And um, I know I've got a couple jobs coming up here that, that will help me jog my memory, and uh, I thought it was a great tip for people. Um, I wanted to kind of give everybody else a chance. Was there any others, like, you know, Bob, any other great tips for our listeners? Well, I think uh, Richard Shaughnessy's presentation I, I found quite interesting, too, uh, when he was looking at the correlation between uh, kind of primitive testing technologies like ATP, the adenosine triphosphate swabs, um, versus, versus PCR, versus a lot of different things and the correlation between those and how they found a lot of times that the cleaning process may be more of smearing things around as opposed to, uh, you know, actually cleaning. And it was the, the study that, uh, that they were presenting there I thought was very interesting. Um, you know, Bob, real quick, while you're on that subject, the sure. other thing that I picked up was that, you know, we spend a lot of time on cleaning desk tops when in their study they found it was the chair that needed the cleaning more so even than the desktop because of the makeup. Yeah, that was fascinating. That, that, that really was, where there really was, because it's not so much, I don't think, I think one of the, the key points they brought up, it's not even necessarily the level of cleanliness, it's when, it, it's the level of what those contaminants are that are left behind and, and the uh, potential, you know, uh, adverse effects that those organisms left behind can leave. In, in other words, like, you know, it's not just whether it's clean, it's, it's, it's how much, how much of a, a residue that could actually adversely affect the population that's left behind. So it's, how much and what type, so yep. What, what is it? What is the stuff you're leaving behind, I guess, is the point I'm trying to get to. And they, they really hit on that point 
I think maybe we cleaned the wrong surfaces or we're concerned maybe about areas that aren't, aren't as critical as others. Yep. And you were going to bring up another. I'm sorry I interrupted. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the other thing I was just going to say in general, um, it, it, this, this is something that I find very interesting, having been in the industry for, what, 20, I don't even know, 28 years now, um, is that there seems to be a maturing, as Pete had mentioned earlier, of, of the industries, industries in general. It used to always be very turf warish. I know back in my early days on the NAGCA board back in the 90s, all of these associations were very competitive and nobody wanted to share or work together. It just seemed like we were all battling for our own turf. And now it seems to be more of a collaborative effort, um, which I think represents a bit of maturing in the industry in general, because really each one of these associations represents a piece of the puzzle. And, not, and nobody really has all the answers. And I think by appreciating that and working together, um, there's, there's definitely a place for everybody at the table. I think that's a big thing. Agreed. Now, Kent, I don't know if you want, I don't know if you got to attend too many sessions as busy as you were. Did you find any tips that uh, you could relate to our listeners? <clears throat> yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks, Joe. Because yeah, there, I didn't get to attend many, and when I when I did, I was more in and out. But um, the, the the presentation that Joe or that uh, Pete was talking about, that Derek Denae. Uh, about uh, it was a water loss in a medical facility. Uh, one of the uh, people in the audience uh, sent a, uh, a link that the CDC has a, a very specific document about how long drywall can be wet in a medical facility. And I was not aware that the CDC had a specific document um, uh, about that. So I think that was one of, that was one of the best takeaways for me because that. When, when you start bringing the, you know, IICRC has, carries a lot of weight, but CDC carries a thousand times more weight than, than IICRC. You know, it's so funny. that's a really good document. It's funny you mentioned that because I'm doing a presentation Monday, which led me to review that document last night. And it is interesting what they basically say within that document. I'll have to pull out, I don't remember the exact title, but it has to do with uh, risk assessment in healthcare uh, in healthcare facilities, and and if I remember correctly, it was 48 to 72 hours. If it stays, if it's still wet after 48 to 72 hours, it has to come out, and that kind of is a little more stringent than what we're used to in the disaster restoration world. In that, you know, typically we need to be there within 24 to 48 hours and start the drying. It doesn't necessarily have to be dry uh, within that two to three day period it's preferable if it is but uh, i think you bring up a great point kent pete i think hey, you had Joe? another one go ahead no go ahead kent. i wanted to comment on that too before you all move off this topic but go ahead kent no that that's it, very specifically joe what what i took away from from what the, the man in the audience said is that if it wasn't dry in 72 hours from when it got wet they don't care about when you responded it's like if it got wet at noon and I got there at 2 o'clock, I was now at a 70-hour window and not a 72-hour window from when I arrived. That's what really hit home with me about that. Yes. I, I may not have said it as well as I could have. It's, it's got to go. If it's still wet after that period, yeah. it's, it's got to go. Pete? Yeah. So that, that was the key point, that the 72 hours was the limit, and so the clock is ticking. And um, the, other, the other point that Derek made... A couple things regarding that. 
for one thing, the, the facility that he was did that project in in Phoenix, it wasn't a hospital, and it, it was a it was some kind of healthcare facility. And he said, oftentimes, what happens is hospitals. Um, and I don't know if this is the exact terminology said, but they're they're much more stringent to to comply with the JCO regs. Like the hospitals, it's a hospital where some of the healthcare facilities sometimes they may still have the same responsibility and obligations, but it doesn't always happen like that in real life. So uh, he said it was more problematic, I guess, and it was more of an educational thing than anything else. But in particular, the, the actual uh, the actual job that he was on, they got there quickly within 24 hours. It was a Category 1 loss under the S-500, all of that. But then there's all these other issues. And then, the, the, like Ken said, the gentleman brought up the 72-hour CDC rule, and that, that kind of made everybody look at things a little bit differently. So I think that's pretty important. And for some, maybe, uh, Cliff, one of the things that you could do for the viewers when you do your blog is see if you can get that link from the CDC site with the actual name of the document so that when people get the block, they can go right to it and download the document. Pete. If that's possible, I'd, uh, that, that'd be a good, um, a good uh, pearl to mine from the show. While you, you were know, chatting, I grabbed it. you have it. a text it to um, me or send it to me. While you were chatting, I went and grabbed it. It's called Guidelines for Environmental Infection Control in Healthcare Facilities. And it's a CDC document, and it was um, recommendations of the CDC and the Healthcare Infection Control Practices Advisory Committee. It's about 60 pages long. Great document. All right. Let's get over to Bob. Uh, you got another tip, Bob? Um, well, let's see. I was, I've was i been writing notes uh, at a feverish pace. While you're, while you're uh, thinking about it, let me get one out real quick. Roll around, um, yeah. Jeff May. Jeff May's always got an interesting presentation. He was talking about <laughs> finding leaks, and then he was talking about molding fiberglass. And I, I think the thing that sometimes we don't think about is um, mites. And Jeff's always been big on mites. He brought up... Um, he thought he was going to find more dust, uh, mold mites, essentially, in the study that he did. He didn't find as many, but it did kind of bring back to me that we don't always focus on that. You know, I'm, a, I'm very allergic to dust mites, and I suspect I'm probably allergic to mold mites as well. And that's something we don't always look for uh, on these, you know, in these investigations. There are many, many different types of mites that can exist in a home, and they need the same thing as... You know, as we all need, uh, they need a, a food source, they need moisture, and uh, in this case, they need a little shelter. But um, that's something I, that, that really came home with me. I thought, you know, I've got to start thinking more about evaluating for mites in, in homes and even in buildings. So go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah let, me, let me touch back on that because that, that really was a great presentation. And uh, I don't know, Joe, if you've ever actually seen, uh, you know, a, a mite actively picked up on a tape lift from a, a, a moldy surface. I remember years ago, the first time I put a slide under a microscope right after doing a field lift and looking at that, I was horrified to see a live mite under there. And I'd start seeing, and that seems to be a common thing on wet, wet environments. Uh, it, seems like, it seems like the mites do tend to manifest in those moldy environments. So that's another potential allergen and uh, adverse health reaction trigger to uh, mold on an indoor environmental surface. So that's... Uh, but I don't think a lot of people realize that. No, I don't. I really, I think you're right, Bob. Anything else, Bob, that you picked up or, or Pete, jump in here? Yeah, well, I think um, one of the other, uh, other points that I had, there were, Larry Holder did two presentations. Larry Holder is a 
senior manager with Belfort, and he's a RIA uh, treasurer is on our executive committee along with Chuck Biolan, who did several presentations. We've talked about uh, Chuck is the first vice president. And uh, Larry did a presentation which um, has been, which similar presentation has been done over the years at both IEQA and RIA, and it had to deal with the relationship between consultants and contractors. You know, the unique um, dynamic of a restoration loss, we have insurance, uh, potentially an insurance company involved, and then the property owner could be commercial property manager or just a residential homeowner. Um, the contractor who's doing the restoration, the drying, maybe remediation, mold remediation work, and then when uh, indoor, you know, IEPs, CIH, or you know, whatever role third-party consultant would be involved. And his key message was to to consider, uh, you know, using a team approach. Is that there has to be collaboration? You know, consultants uh, take the lead. And they write some specs that, uh, uh, you know, are not agreeable or something that contractors don't think that they can really cost-effectively perform. It kind of backfires, and if a contractor kind of takes the lead, tries to influence the process, and obviously can affect the, you know, the integrity of, uh, you know, the consultant. So it's uh, it's more that, you know, who gets the call first should take the lead and then essentially work with the other so that you reach some kind of consensus and the, and the bottom line is is you know you want to do the right thing obviously for the property owner there has to be cost considerations that have to be considered for whoever the ultimate paying party is and understanding how insurers think and that oftentimes if it's an insured loss there's very specific language in the policy which directs the actions of the insurance adjuster a key point that Larry brought up is oftentimes people who are not you know used to companies individuals that are not used to dealing with insurance claims might have a perception that you know, the job of the insurance company is to basically, you know, cut cut the cost of the services, keep the cost down. And uh, and in some cases that may be true, but many times it's not. Oftentimes it's more important than cost. And what drives cost is the scope of the work. In other words, determine what actually needs to be done and people agree on it, then decide how much the estimate is, how much it's going to cost to do the project. And um, oftentimes, you know, that's basically driven by agreeing on standards, best practices, those kinds of things. So I thought that presentation um, was good. It was an early morning presentation. It was 50, 60 people in there, room, you know, good size for an early morning presentation. I think there was probably a pretty good mix of, of both the consultant types and uh, and the contractor types in the room. So I, I thought Larry did a did a good job with that. Um, and I, you know, one I have one other topic if uh, if there's time, but I'll throw it back to you, Joe. And that was another presentation that Larry and uh, Chuck did uh, dealing with. Uh, the Safe Harbor Initiative, which I think many of your listeners are aware of, dealing you know, with the use of temperature and uh, remediation and drying projects, and and uh, if, if, if that's something that we have time to talk about, I'd certainly be willing to address that. But I'll, I'll throw it back to you guys. Uh, One I thing I would like you. to throw in, Joe, go ahead. None go of us have mentioned is, is really the actual trade show. You know, the the IE3 Expo. Absolutely. Um, and you know, since we were there for Healthy Indoors Magazine in the Expo, I spent a lot of my time. Uh, basically lurking there, um, especially in the IAQA uh, pavilion section. And uh, it saw a lot of interesting things. Now, every year there's always seems to be a new host of uh, purported solutions that are that arrive at the trade shows. Um, and this year was no exception, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, trying to be politically correct here, just, you know, I, you see things that you know. Sometimes you, sometimes they look like great innovations, and sometimes you see things that are maybe a little scary. <laughs> and and uh, 
and I think it's it's a big thing for the consumers, you know, or, or new newcomers to the industry to to be able to delineate the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, I don't know how do we advise that in a uh, proper fashion. That's a good point, yeah. Bob. Very good. Hey, okay, got, hey, got, hey, got, politically correct. I'm telling you, politically correct. Come on now. <laughs> you know what? Uh, it's like every, since I put on the publisher hat, you know, I, I've kind of I, I've become a little bit more Switzerland in my uh, role here. Yeah, yeah. well, no, it's funny that you say that because I, I think that over the years, um, you, you get I, my personal perspective has been I've been to several IQA shows over the years, and obviously RIA and some other industry shows. It seems that in the IAQA arena, you do get companies, exhibitors, vendors, people that come there that actually, um, in some cases, are actually going after the consumer market. And I'm not sure how many people like that actually are in that expo hall. Um, we, you very rarely do you see that in an REA or cleaning or restoration type show. And um, But I, I think the, the bigger issue, and, and this was actually discussed, you know, Informally, I would think of some of the leadership and, and people involved uh, in organizing the show that uh, there seems to be, there should be a, a more uh, heavier vetting process, I guess maybe is the way I'll put it, if we're going to be PC here, Bob, mm-hmm. that when you have, exhibiting is one thing, but once people become sponsors and um, they give money and they get uh, their name on things, uh, there's, uh, you know, maybe there's an implied endorsement, if you would. Mm-hmm. from the organization, and everyone doesn't necessarily always look at it like that, right, wrong, or indifferent, not to, to take sides to be judgmental, but um, possibly that's something that should be considered uh, in the future, that if, in order for someone to be a sponsor, um, maybe there needs to be a, a more significant vetting than just being an exhibitor in the hall, and no different than the way you vet your speakers. From it, it, is, it is a tough process, though, because I think you potentially walk into antitrust issues more so in that arena than you do with presenters on stages. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with all that. It's a tight road to walk. I agree. Yeah, because yeah, we, uh, we got into that discussion, and, and my opinion and the opinion I think that, that IAQA needs to take as it goes forward is we're not there to be a clearinghouse to say this is a legitimate product or this is a good product or what they're trying to sell is the right thing. If, if they make it through and and they're a legitimate company, and I'm not saying that they're, what they're selling is good, bad, or indifferent, um, we can't uh, all of a sudden, as whether it's IAQA or ASHRAE or, or RIA or you name it, we can't all of a sudden say, well, we don't like that product, we're not letting them in, or we don't like that and we don't like that. We took the, the stance that the market will drive who's going to be there. And if it's a bad product, the market will drive them out of that show. They'll drive them out of the business. So we're letting the market do its do its work instead of trying to be a, a regulator, like a government regulator. I think it's really, and I agree with that, Ken. I think that's really the only way you can approach it as, a, as an association. But what's really important is that you really clearly stipulate that you know, IAQA doesn't endorse any of the exhibitors here and doesn't endorse That's any good of the point. products. That needs to be clearly stated repeatedly to the consumer. Yeah. Gents, we're, we're running over a bit. Um, let me get two very quick tips because I asked one of the uh, attendees, Steve Teams, to give me two. He sent two quick ones. One was that um, Eva King did a great presentation, and she said there is no such thing as a hypoallergenic cat. 
that's obviously a useful piece of information. Um, if a client ever tells you the cat can't be the cause because it's hypoallergenic, it's probably the cat that is the cause of the allergic symptom. Um, the second one he mentioned that I, I didn't get a chance to see, I wanted to. Jason Dobronic uh, with EMSL did a presentation on some research that demonstrated that there is not a relationship between the presence of mold spores and the presence of endotoxin. And uh, Steve felt for field investigators who believe they can properly assess the presence of myco- microbial contamination with the use of mold spore testing alone, this research proves that bacterial contaminants can be present with or without fungal contaminants also being present. So I thought those were good, two good tips to get out to listeners. I really wanted to get this show filled with as many tips as we can, but and we did that, and we also covered a whole bunch of other things. Let's go around the table real quick. I want to see, I, that was my final comment. Um, let's start with you, Bob. Any final comments before we go? Yeah, I think it's just really important for, you know, this industry is evolving, uh, the whole indoor environmental industry, and I think it's really important that if you're going to be a practitioner at any level, whether you be a consultant or a contractor or somewhere in between um, researcher, that you do need the interaction with the other disciplines in the industry, and you need, you do need to stay well-versed with what's happening because it, th- things are happening and changing quite fast. It, even though I've always made the statement that the more the more we change, the more we stay the same, it's very important to stay actively involved in the industry. And obviously these live uh, events are, are a huge part of that. Thank you, Bob, and thanks for joining us. Kent? I would uh, say two things. Uh, one, thank you to everybody that was there. I um, just can't say thank, thanks enough to the IAQA member and and, and then the, the industries, the other associations we get to be involved with. And, and yeah, I have to kind of echo what Bob is saying. You know, since it started last year in my presidency last year and carried on this year, how the associations, you know, I mean, NATCA and IICRC and AIHA and RIA and ASHRAE, they were all there and we were all talking and we were all friends and we were all agreeing that we need to get to one place. To me, that's the most important thing because if you're a restorer like me, eventually we need to have a voice, a unified voice, to talk with the insurance company or we need to have a unified voice to talk with, with the government or a unified voice to be able to say to the public, here's what's right so that, that people are hearing one really good message. And that would be the biggest takeaway is all the people who were there and how close yeah, that focus is coming. Thank you, Kent, and thanks for joining us. I, I really appreciate you uh, taking you. time out to join us. And, and I also want to say thanks for your volunteer efforts at the association. I know how time-consuming it is, and, and particularly during this transition it has been. Um, I know I can be critical, but I also want to make sure that I, I give the appropriate thanks where it's due, and you most certainly are due a, a great deal of thanks from all of us members. Let's get Thank you, to, Joe. I appreciate that. You're quite welcome. And uh, let's get the, the Pete, the, the RIA Global Advisor, the Industry Watchdog. Give us your final thoughts. And I'm assuming we just went into the roundup without the music, right, Joe? Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, we, we were having so much fun. <laughs> yeah, no, so listen, I want to I wanna echo the, what Bob and, and uh, Kent were saying. I want to make sure that your listeners didn't misunderstand or misinterpret anything I said. I agree that 
that associations, the market needs to basically regulate. And I, I think the, the bigger issue wasn't about uh, the exhibitors. It's about sponsorships and things of this nature. And Bob made an excellent point that, that these organizations need to, should be clear that it's not a sign of endorsement because there are antitrust laws and all these kinds of things that are involved. And look, the market is always regulated. It will continue to be. And that, that's, that's, that's existed for years, and I think it should continue to be. Organizations and associations should never get involved in the, the different business disputes and philosophies amongst its members. I mean, that's, let, let that kind of play out. So I think that's, that's very important. Um, I think that uh, to dovetail off of what Ken said, as the industry now is working together, the associations are uh, having MOUs and things of this nature, you know, the next place where we're moving to is uh, some kind of collaboration in the different shows and the programs that we put on so that, uh, you know, everybody can't cut everything. One of the things with all the volunteers out there is at the end of the day, they still have to have find time to run their own businesses, you know, minor details sometimes where people forget about. <laughs> and um, so... The, uh, I think having less shows but more significant collaborative shows will not only satisfy the, the attendees who ultimately support it, but obviously all the vendors that want to travel and support the shows and they want to obviously be where the customers are. And um, so anything along those lines uh, that happens at a higher level with associations working together for the greater good of the industry and the constituents, I think there is a movement in that direction, and I, I certainly encourage people to keep that moving. And... Um, I guess in closing, maybe I'll just leave a little dovetail that may lead to next. If we're going to have an RAA show next week uh, to talk about the collaboration between RAA and IACRC and the, the May show in, in Vegas, um, we're, uh, part of that discussion that we got into a little bit earlier, Joe, talking about the body of knowledge uh, in the indoor air quality area between IHA and IQA, RAA has been working uh, on something very similar to that, but at a much more intensive level, uh, developing a curriculum for uh, ultimately go down the road for credentialing the third-party accreditation. Um, and I'll, I'll talk next week to your two viewers about where we're at with that and um, uh, how people will get an opportunity to, uh, to comment on it. We're getting ready to do that here in the next month or two. And, um, and if, there, if there is an interest and there are questions to, that we want to talk about the, the temperature and the safe harbor and those kind of things, I suppose we can kind of just shift that over. Larry and Chuck did a terrific presentation for many people in the audience on that and, um, you know, explained to them basically what the safe harbor meant. And, uh, and that was discussed, I think, uh, and it was very informative for the attendees. So uh, if, they, if, they, if there's in, uh, continued interest in that, um, we can kind of move that to next week's show. So anyway, uh, uh, thank you for inviting me and, uh, and uh, good recap. Look forward to seeing Coach Blocks. He, he always... He always kind of captures the pearls, gives you the links, and gives good information. I, I think the, the viewers really appreciate that. Cliff you know, probably has a, a sore hand today. Cliff, any final comments? No. <laughs> He's going to have a busy afternoon ahead of him finishing up this blog. Gentlemen, I want to say thank you one more time. Thank you to Bob Crow, Kent Rahauser, Pete Consigli for joining us for today's recap of the IAQA conference. We will be back next week. Uh, thanks also, of course, to my engineer here, John. You got to have faith. And, of course, to our growing group of loyal listeners. Hey, by the way, thanks to all of you that came up and said hello at the conference to me. Uh, we really appreciate that when you do it. Um, and, and let us know you're listening out there. It really helps 
keep us energized and invigorated and ready for the next show. So thanks to all of our loyal listeners. We'll be back next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 